Emily, have we got a podcast for our listeners? You might want to try that line again, Richard. What? Oh, yeah. Emily, have we got a podcast for our listeners? You bet. Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of If It's Hurting, It's Not Working. Hello, I'm Richard. And I'm Emily. And we're your hosts for a new podcast about working. Most of us have to work for a living and many of us work for at least eight hours a day and at least five dates a week. That's an awful lot of time in our lives to invest in anything, particularly if we're unhappy, bored or unfulfilled in our work. So we're hoping that this podcast, being all about work, why we work, how we work and what makes a great job will be useful to you all. Yeah, and and we're also going to talk about what makes a great workplace and how we can turn things around when we're not enjoying our work and perhaps in the end how we can all make our work a bit better. So you might be asking yourself, why should I listen to this podcast? What do they know that I don't? Yeah, well, that's an excellent question. And I guess first off, we'll say, here's what we're not. We're not selling you anything. We've not got any quick fixes or miracle cures. We're not consultants. And we're not positioning ourselves as experts. But what we are, are two people who work and want to make our experience of work as meaningful as we can. And we'd like to share our thoughts about that with you. And we've both acted as employee representatives, Richard as a chair and myself as deputy chair. So we've spoken with lots of other people about their work and what's important for them at work. Yeah. And of course, there's much more to life than work. So this isn't going to be a podcast about being a work bore and we're not going to give you loads of stories about how many hours you put in or how fabulously successful we've been no nobody wants a work bore (laughs) (laughs) but it is about how we might all be able to make work something that we love and not just a means to an end and there isn't there a line about what is it because we need to work to live and not live to work I mean, well, it's been quoted to me so many times when I've spoken to my mum and she's gone, you're working too many hours. You need to work to live. Well, clearly we work in order to live our lives. Yeah. I, I do have something to talk about that later on, I think, in terms of what the right balance is. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. And another reason for doing this podcast now is that this is an unusual time to be working. Uh, and of course, there's been huge changes in the way we work over the last 18 months as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And those changes have caused many people to reflect on how we want to spend our lives and the work we want to do. Many are choosing life and career changes, and we'll reflect on that in this podcast too. But this is the pilot episode, and so in this one we're going to introduce ourselves, explain what we do for work, talk a bit about our backgrounds and how we came to know each other. We're going to talk about our plans for the podcast and how often you can expect to hear from us. And work is a serious business, so we hope to talk about serious and important issues, and we hope you'll find our discussions helpful. But just as importantly, work should also be fun, and we hope these podcasts will also be light-hearted at times and easy to listen to. (music) 
So that's a bit about our podcast. Now let's find out and tell you all a bit about ourselves. So, Richard, what's your home background other than just your your work? I live near Winchester in the UK and I'm married and my wife and I uh, have just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary and we've got a teenage daughter. Okay, 30 years, that's an achievement. Congratulations. And so tell me a bit about your career. Did you go on to anything past secondary school and do any further education or did you just start the career ladder fresh and bright eyed at 16 years old? (laughs) Well, look, I mean, I did a bit of each. So I realised the the other day that it's actually (laughs) 35 years since I left home for my first job. I just done my A-levels. Yeah. And before university, I was was sponsored by a company to, to start work as an engineer. And I was prompted, I think, into that career as an engineer through my love as a teenager of, well, boyhood love, I suppose, of science fiction. I've got an engineering degree from Cambridge University, spent a year working straight out of school, and then I did my degree, and then I went back and worked afterwards. And I worked for them during each summer as well. Okay, and I understand as well that you've only ever worked for three organisations, is that right? Did you want to tell me a bit more about that? That's, that's, that's absolutely true. The first one, which was the one that sponsored me through university, it was all about design and construction of nuclear power stations. And I worked there for about 10 years. Then I only worked for a year in the chemical industry. I worked in a chemical factory uh, near Manchester. And then for the last over 25 years, I've been working in the same organisation. I mean, uh, changes of ownership notwithstanding. And that's in the broadcast and telecom sector. My current job I'm an enterprise architect, uh, which is, I guess, a, a, a ridiculously grandiose title for what is coming up with technology strategy. But it, it does fit me in a way because, as I was saying earlier, the, the boy who likes science fiction would love to have enterprise in a job title. And I, I'm sure my mother's delighted to have an architect in the family. And that's how we met as well, isn't it? But we're going on to that in a minute. Yeah. Okay. So to Emily, tell me a bit about you. So what's your what's your situation outside work? So I am a mum of a 16-year-old as well. So I've got a teenage son. I live with my partner of four years and we live just outside of Southampton in a little market town. Fantastic. So what happened to you then? Oh, that's a terrible way of, of, of phrasing it. So, 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 you, so how, did you, how, how did you start into the world of work? Well, I left school, obviously, at the young tender age of 16 and I went off to college where I did an NVQ level three in business administration. My initial thoughts was I was going to go into the beauty industry and become a beauty therapist. But when the college lecturer told me there wasn't much money in that and it's really hard work, I thought I can cope with the hard work, maybe not so much the earning good money. So I went on and did the business administration course. And then from there, I went on to Southampton University where I did a higher national diploma in business and marketing. And then life took me down the route of parenthood. So I never really got to use those qualifications. And then I worked for several companies. I've bounced around quite a few. Longest term to date would have been my previous job to this one. And that was a, a again, communications company really we made cameras for the MOD so that was quite a exciting job and I worked in there as a started off as a receptionist and then worked my way up and into finance and then by the end of that career before I got made redundant I was the right hand to 
the financial controller, so I was her finance assistant. And then I joined the same company that we work for now in telecommunications again and continued my career in finance where they sponsored me to do my AAT and got up to level three on that. And then due to the recent restructure that we've had, I moved out of finance and had a career change to human resources. And that's where I'm currently sat as a HR orchestration executive. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and I guess if, if we're being a little bit coy about about names here, I mean, I guess we're not representing the company that we work for, so we're just leaving the name out. But it's not like we're ashamed to talk about them. We, we just don't, you know, we don't want anyone to, to, to get the wrong impression. Yep, exactly that. So what about great jobs that we've had? Have you, what, what's your greatest job that you've had, Richard? I mean, I think, the, I think the best job that I've had is fortunately the one that I'm in at the moment, because I do think that being an enterprise architect probably plays to some of my strengths. And I think most importantly, every day is a bit different. And there's lots of lots of different things to do, lots of different skills involved. So, but it's a sort of job you can only do at the end or, or towards the end of a lengthy career, you know, it's it's, it's sort of like, <laughs> um, we might talk about this another time, but, but you know, I mean, so, some people set out into work with a really defined career plan mm-hmm. and they say, you know, I'll, I'm going to do this, this and this. I mean, I, I feel to some extent like my career has happened to me, uh, you know, it's not entirely like that, but it's been a bit like that. But funnily enough, a lot of the things that I've done along the way have, have been helpful and paved the way and given me skills to be able to do the, the job that I'm doing right now. So, so yeah, wh- whether, whether it's fortunate or not, I, th- I think that's, that's good. I'd say the the other the other job in my career that I remember fondly was uh, the one in the chemical factory, and it's not because it was in a chemical factory. I actually hated that part of it, but but the people that I worked with were fantastic, and I think you know that makes all the difference. Uh, I think you know if you work with people that you really get on with, then yeah, that can make the hours fly by. Yeah, and I think that's probably why I'd say my greatest job was the one where I started off as a receptionist and worked my way through to be the finance assistant I mean it was a family-run business and my boss she was just absolutely amazing I joined the company when my son was only two as a single mum and they couldn't have been more supportive of developing me being understanding and again the people it wasn't just her it was her brother and it was a relatively small company we had about 50 employees but it was just that sense of feeling and community that we all had and we all had each other's backs. There was very rarely any grievances or disciplinaries, so much so that we didn't actually have an HR department because the financial controller did all of that side as well alongside her team beside me. Um, and we all just worked together as a team and, and made it made it work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, can, I, can see you, I can see you smiling as you're talking about it, which is always a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. And she was almost always my inspiration to continue to work hard and play hard. They were a very successful family um, run business and they very much enjoyed the fun side of it as well um, and looking after their staff. And they were brilliant at that. Mm. Shame she died. She was such a lovely lady. She had two lovely, gorgeous children as well that oh. absolutely were besotted with her. Oh, it's sad, isn't it? Yeah, but that's life. That's why I run now. I do the race for life for her. 
Oh, oh, I right. said I couldn't okay. manage. She was like, no, you could do anything you put your mind to. So, yeah. Right. So, terrible jobs. Well, I've got a couple of them. <laughs> Go on then. So, terrible jobs had to be when I left the motorcycle firm because I felt I needed a change of thing. I'd just gone through quite a lot of personal bits and pieces and felt a fresh start was needed as well. And I went to a company that made conduit. Oh, yeah for the industry out there all the building firms and things like that and it was pitched to me really well at interview and things like that that it was you know great company to work for loads of flexibility and again quite small in, in, and... in the in the conduit or or in, in the job itself yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, it was the conduit that kept the company going all right but yeah no so they um pitched it all great and it was i can't actually remember the job title it but it certainly wasn't what I signed up for I was in a pokey little office on my own trying to sell conduit to people over the phone and convince these these companies it was during must have been 2012 because it was the Olympics and there was a lot oh, yeah. of construction going on for that yeah so it was my job to telemarket conduit and get people to sign up to take these boxes and I was on my own, didn't really know much about it all and was, yeah, set up to fail, let's say, rather than success. Mm. So needless to say, I didn't stay there long, but it did mean that I went to the greatest company that I've worked for, which we've just spoken about. So everything happens for a reason. And that terrible job I had to do. And it paid the bills. Yeah. How about you? Now, there's only one in three chance that you've had a terrible job in one of these companies. <laughs> Funnily enough, there's two things I wanted to talk about. So one of them was like a strangest job. And the strangest job that I ever had was at Hesham Power Station in, in Lancashire. So I was asked to go into the reactor pressure vessel. So this is why they're building the power station. So it's before they lo- they loaded the nuclear fuel rods in. So so it was it, it wasn't at least radioactive at the point. But I had to go in there with a long piece of metal rod with some double-sided <laughs> sticky tape at the end of it, uh-huh. and push push that down between the boiler tubes and get out all, all the gunk that they had sort of settled between the tubes and and, and fish it out. It was. Uh, they, they, they called it fishing. I thought they, you were going to say that um, they asked you to go and find air hooks and along. <laughs> well, you know, one of your first jobs as a yeah. naive youngster. Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, this is this is this was just about as strange as that. You, you had to get it was a so sort of completely clean environment, so you had to have the hairnet thing and the things on your feet and and clean overalls, and then an, and then the sort of hazard suit on top of that. And it's you know, it it wasn't completely dark. Obviously, you had to see where you were going, but it but it was sort of, it was quite dark and uh, badly lit uh, inside the, the reactor pressure vessel. So it was kind of a slightly spooky environment too. Mm-hmm. So you spend all day kind of fishing down between these. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. It, it, it was. I mean, it's exactly the sort of job you give to students because <laughs> you, you you've got to learn that work isn't always fantastic. Mm. But actually, I mean, the the worst job probably was the same year stuck in a, in an office in Warrington and so this was pre-internet it was pre-pc to be honest you know so you're sort of sitting at desks with a a notebook and and you know you could photocopy stuff but that was about all all there was and 
you know, classically with students, they, they, they're they never quite sure what to do with you. And if you're not very careful, you sort of run out of work halfway through the week. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nobody wants to admit that. And you can't sit around not looking busy or, or, or that will reflect badly on someone. So I, I just used to sit in that office for days and afternoons at a time with literally nothing to do and nothing to take my mind off it. And, I mean, that was a, a real kind of endurance feat. I mean, it was... It was so it was so weird that I, I I actually ended up working out. This is the sort of mind that I've got. That uh, if you add all of the odd numbers together, you get the square numbers. Oh so God, right, you must right, have been bored, Richard. Yeah, that's right. So one plus three, right? That's four, which is yeah. two squared. And then one plus three plus five, that's nine, which is three squared. And then one plus three plus five plus anyway, you you, you okay, get the yeah, picture. I was say, I and, believe and you. Then, <laughs> And, and I, I even proved that mathematically. That 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 was how bored I was. Yeah, and and I think I mean, funnily enough, that actually set my attitude in work for for almost the next thirty years, which was th- that sense of actually work is something that I have to get through in order to, that I can start enjoying stuff, you know, in my in my own time. And I think you know, it, it's it's really bad. I think. To, you know, to have a bad experience early on, which sets sets your thinking in that way. So it's only really probably in the last five or at most ten years that I've I've flipped that round and actually begun to realise that you can actually enjoy life in work as well as outside work. But yeah, that was that was a bad job because it it, it sort of marked my thinking for the for the next thirty years probably. Mm. Yeah, there's nothing worse than boredom, is there? And especially trying to make sure that you're justifying your position within an organisation because you know they're paying your wages. Yeah. Yet the responsibility doesn't just lie with you, does it? It lies with them to ensure that they're they're giving you enough to do. But yeah, I can imagine that was a pretty terrible job to have. Next up is what makes the difference. So we talked a little bit about that, what makes a, a great job great and what makes a bad job bad. I mean, but often it's it's not the content of the job itself, is it? It's the, it's the stuff that goes alongside it. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a huge part to play in it is the people, Yeah. your manager, the environment that, that you work in. I mean, you were saying that, that that job, your terrible job, was when you had no internet and things like that. And I suspect you were in an office where people were smoking. Yeah, yeah. So that environment back then now that makes a big difference what else makes a difference to to your jobs i think the biggest difference in my career that sort of happened suddenly and i mean you've already touched on this was that a manager came along and sort of headhunted me and said i want you to work in my team and you're you're the guy that i really want for this particular job i think you'd be great at it Mm. and I would say that I'd gone through a period of maybe five years before that when I hadn't worked for anybody who'd said any of those things to me. And I think that somebody who has belief in you, I mean, in the end, you're the same person and much of the stuff that you do is the same. But when somebody has belief in you, it's amazing how much more you can achieve and, and, and what, a, what a massive difference it makes, I think, to your, to your outlook and your output. That's so true. Like having people behind you that believe that you can do it and support you and want to see you succeed makes a huge amount of difference compared to somebody that's disengaged, just wants you there to turn the cogs and 
isn't really interested in you and doesn't really care whether or not you're enjoying the job they just want you to get it done within the day and yeah. part of me thinks that I've never done it perhaps I should go and do it to because this is just my assumption but I should imagine that's what it's like working in McDonald's they don't care well I uh, so you say that did you work in McDonald's no I've never worked in McDonald's but I did have a woman who worked in my team who had worked in McDonald's and she was absolutely passionate and enthusiastic about working at McDonald's she said oh oh yeah no it's it's oh. it's got high standards and 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 so on so yeah it's, it's interesting you should say that well, there you go it just goes to show you should not judge a book by its cover because the assumption would be that it's a very fast-paced high turnover organization but clearly not if that's the reputation that your team members left behind I very much imagine it depends which branch of McDonald's you've worked in. Oh, yeah, in. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> What's the secret of your success, Emily? The secret of my success would probably be my sheer determination to succeed. I mean, I wouldn't mm. say I'm overly successful. I'm not, you know, a high-flying millionaire. But then, you know, you don't always have to measure success by monetary values. But equally, you know, when I joined college... That was a two-year college course, and they mm -hmm. decided that they were going to reduce the length of it to only a year. And I remember my tutor saying to me one day whether she was having a bad day or it was just the fact that people were messing about and I was finding it quite amusing myself. Mm. She said, you're never going to complete this course and you're going to fail it. So I did my damned hardest to prove her wrong. And I think that's been a trait of mine throughout my life. I remember being in primary school. Mrs. Breckle, my English teacher, said to me, you are never going to be any good at creative writing because you always use the word nice. I never want you to use the word nice again in any form of storytelling. So I proved her wrong again and got, I think, the, the following week, my, my poem got read out in assembly at the age of seven or so to show and it's things like that I think that's my mm. secret to success when people say I can't do something or yeah I'm not really sure that you'd be great at that so actually what we've just talked about of what makes the difference it really does help if you've got people behind you but unfortunately I've encountered a lot throughout my career and and education of people going yeah you probably can't do that well guess what I'll prove you wrong now then just out of sheer determination how about you I think the secret of my success, and I'll give you the, I'll give the same caveats that you have in terms of you know quite how successful I've been. But the secret of my success is I don't think there is a secret. I think in the end, hmm. where where I've been successful, it has been because I do the things that that we all know that we have to do. It's about just being meticulous, I suppose, and getting stuff done. I mean, if if you People read management books and everyone's looking for a trick or a shortcut or a thing yeah. that's going to grant you tremendous success. And, you know, OK, you might find something, you might find something in, in, in that that works for you. But I don't I don't really believe in that. I think on the whole, you know, there are simple things that work, you know, being interested in people. Reliability as well. Yeah, doing the, do, doing the things that you say you're going to do turning up delivering when you need to i mean it's all those simple things if you do them really well then people come to trust you and then that helps you to build your career and pick things up so yeah i think it's 
I, I don't think there is a secret. There's, there's no kind of secret source that's that's going to magically transform things around. It's it, it's about doing the right things. Yeah, and that's very true, actually. I mean, I'm sure there's many people out there that have had the same situation as, as both of us and, and live by those standards. And it's no secret. All of those given things are just a good moral standing, aren't they? When you go into a, an organisation and that you're passionate about and you enjoy that that line of work nobody turns up to do a bad job mm. and some people don't want to progress and go through that career route of moving up the hierarchy and that's that's equally okay and you can still be very successful at your job no matter what stage of your career or mm. hierarchy within an organization that's at. so yeah like you said I don't think there's any secret to it mm. and it's very unique to each individual yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, each of us has been dealt a particular set of cards. I mean, it, when I was when I was young, I was good academically. And so that that was a, a starting point for me. But, you know, I mean, that doesn't translate into a great career or riches or whatever. Some of the most brilliant people you know, end up very poor and, and very disillusioned because being successful is, is about much more than that. But I think but equally, you know, if, if you use the things that you're good at, uh, and you make the most of those. I think I think that's really important too. Yeah, and then equally on the flip side, you can start off with nothing, and end up very successful just through sheer determination and passion. I mean, yeah. we've got likes of Lord Sugar now, isn't it? He started from nothing, and then he's got his own empire. The likes of Marcus Rashford started off in I can't remember what part. Of, I'm not that great. At Ma- that Manchester. There you go, Manchester. And then there's quite actually a few in the the old football clubs at the moment that are mm. telling their stories. Harry Redknapp, he started off in East End of London, I think it was, and now lives in the glorious sandbanks through sheer determination and hard work and no qualifications yeah. behind him. But yeah. I mean, sometimes a bit of luck too, but but, but taking advantage of that yeah. luck. And that's what he said, actually. He did a documentary recently on summer at sandbanks or whatever it was on itv4 oh there's a little plug for them free of charge (laughs) (laughs) so yeah no no particular secret so emily do you have a dream job well as a little girl i always dreamed of being like kylie minogue but i can't sing and i never will be able to sing i certainly can't even whistle so that dream job is just literally that a dream job but i think for me if I really had to think about it, I always thought I'd like to be a midwife. That was, and that still props up. If I won the lottery, I think I'd, I'd take mm-hmm. the time and go and get qualified as that, as a midwife. But I think my dream job, ultimately, is just something that gives back to people and helps people. And I think that's kind of why I've gone down the HR route because I like to help people. I'm a problem solver if someone comes to me with a dilemma whether it be a personal or a work related query I like to help them Mm. so in a way I suppose you could say I am effectively doing my dream job I did it while I was on the employee representative board because that was heavily involved with helping people and now by stepping into the career of HR yeah and maybe just maybe this podcast might help some people too uh, yeah, you know, as, exactly. as, as, we, as we go through it and that yeah. is our ultimate ambition of doing this podcast isn't it and even if we just help one person then that's great how about yeah. you yeah uh, so i think my dream job 
would be to be a writer, a comedy writer. That was kind of what I had in the back of my mind. But I mean, I'm not sure I'd be any good at it. But it's just it's just, it's something that I think I'd like to have had a crack at. But the other thing that I th- that I'm very aware of is that when you have dream jobs, they are very much that. They you know they they, they are. It's all about the dream, and the reality is you know is often mm-hmm. a bit different. I mean, and yeah. you know, if you're going to if you're going to be a writer. Then of course you've, you're at the mercy of people commissioning you to do stuff, and then you've got that kind of terrible moment where you've got a blank screen and you've got to fill it and do something. So I mean, it's it's great when it comes off, but it, but I imagine it, it has it has its drawbacks. And I, and I think you know there's a lot of jobs like that. I mean, footballer people off, people want to be footballers, but you know they they probably aren't so keen on all the the training and the traveling and the you know not being around at weekends when when your friends are. And equally, you know, act, people want to be actors or entertainers, but again, there's there's all the auditions that are around that, and, and of course, you've got to do all the promotional work at the end of it. So the acting is just sort of sort of a little bit in the middle. So I think you've, you've got to accept with any job that there's going to be some bits that you love and some bits that you don't like so much, and it's kind of trying to get as much of the stuff as you love in there and to to get through the the the, ne- the necessary bits that, are, that aren't quite so much fun. Yeah. So, so that's a bit about us and, and a bit about our work lives, how we've worked and some of the things that we think. Our intention is that we're going to be coming back on about a monthly basis with new episodes. The intention is that each of our episodes will have a theme that we'll talk about and it'll be an aspect of some aspects of work. Yeah, so I think the next episode will be covering off work-life balance and I suppose reflections of the past 18 months maybe on on how we've adjusted to working at home because I think that's relevant to everybody at the moment and then we'll go into some more themes as the months go on but yeah so we hope you've enjoyed this episode and it'd be really grateful if you could go and rate our podcast and leave reviews in places like Apple Podcasts and Podchaser also go out there tell your friends your family your work colleagues and even your neighbours but if you didn't like it, don't tell a soul. <laughs> and we've also got some social media platforms out there, haven't we, Richard? And what what ones have we got? Yeah, so so we've got a Twitter account which is at if hurt not work. It's uh, in an abbreviation of our title. If it's if it's hurting, it's not working. And yeah. you know, and that's our motto really that that work shouldn't be it shouldn't be a slog. It shouldn't be hurting. It shouldn't be it shouldn't feel like a punishment. It should be something that uh, we actually have some enthusiasm for each day. And then we've got our Facebook and Instagram accounts. If yes. it's hurting, it's not working for both Facebook and Instagram. So please pop over, like, and follow our posts and our accounts. So we'll be using those those accounts to to signpost the fact that we're posting new episodes of the podcast but i think we're also those people who've who've enjoyed listening to us if you want to interact with us on those social media platforms of course we'd be you know we'd be happy to talk to you and 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 to sort of hear your ideas for the podcast and what you'd like to hear because in the end you know we're we're making it for an audience so if you can tell us what it is that you'd like us to talk about that that'd certainly be a great help yeah and from time to time we may also promote other work life tools and podcasts and useful resources that yeah. we found within those social media accounts as well so it's not just a, a hub of knowledge on our podcasts but a hub of knowledge for all other things that might help your work life better 
Yeah, indeed. Also, we want to say thanks to B. Garrido, who donated the great artwork that accompanies this podcast. B. devised a number of different designs for us before we hit on this one. So thanks, B, for all your efforts. And to all our listeners, if you're looking for great artwork, check out B's Twitter account, at B. Garrido Art. Details of that in our show notes. Okay, so we'll be back soon, and you can expect to hear from us in about a month's time. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so that's it for now, and goodbye until next time. And that's an awful <laughs> that's that's an awful lot of time in our lives to invest in. in <laughs> Oh dear! I was thinking, you, you know, our um, our theme tune's called "Funk It Up." Mm-hmm. Well, the, these are all the funk ups, aren't they? Right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of "It's Hurting." Oh no! Here we go. There's your first opening. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of "It's." I'm not reading the word in. I, it would help if I learned the title of our podcast. <laughs> all this time that we've done those um, images for it. Right, take three. Don't worry. Uh, 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 between between those various <laughs> takes, there'll be something. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was. Yep, I'm not on mute. Sorry about that. Slid on my um, microphone then. I think that that's my secret to success. <laughs> and if if I actually thought about this. Wouldn't be able to find you either because there's a lot exactly. of no, I, 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 I've got I've got the perfect name to be anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure you're not a spy? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I'm, I, I wasn't built for being a spy. <laughs> about about a foot a foot too tall. Yeah. You're looking at me. <laughs> I am looking at you. <laughs> my thing's my, my screen's gone dark, which which isn't helping. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, and what was I going to say? I was going to bye. say, and bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. So, so, so thanks, Emily. Uh, and uh, goodbye from me. No, that's all right. That sounds awful. Um, 